Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Dang, it's hot. <laughs> All right. Do you want to try to ask the question? All right. Just come over here. We'll start simple. Why do people try to perform? Okay. Well, that's not really a simple question. <laughs> um let's let's break it down though let's put it in context okay um let's let's understand it and why why do we within us have the need for some sort of social validation okay does that make sense um well kind of break it down so if we have a social a need for a social validation there's a couple things that have to be in place for that to become possible one there has to be a need and then two there has to be something that can be validated and when you look at these two things that way, there's a need. We feel a drive in us. Do you see? There's a need in us. Um, and then there is something within us that can be validated. Uh, ultimately, we're talking about what we here call the ego tripartite, which other people might casually refer to as the ego. When we say ego tripartite, though, we mean much more than what colloquially is referred to as the ego. Um, we are summing up in the concept of the ego tripartite. In essence, what is the Abhidharma of Buddhism? So you probably haven't heard of that term, have you? Um, there are three categories of text in the Buddhist tradition. Uh, one is the sutra, and these are the words or the stories or the tales of the, of the Buddha. Um, another one is called the Vinaya. Our next podcast will be on the Vinaya. The Vinaya are the monastic codes. Um, and just a side note as a preface to the, to the next podcast episode on the Vinaya, generally... Westerners have no concept of the Vinaya. They they don't they've never heard of it, not not even close. People have heard of the Sutra, so they've heard of the Heart Sutra, the Diamond Sutra, for example. Um, they know who the Buddha is. He said some things, he did some things. They they have some concept of the sutras. Um and then most people are attracted to the philosophy or the psychology, depending on their slant, 
how they come to Buddhism. They're attracted to either the philosophy or the psychology, and all of those, all of that comes out of the other textual category, the Abhidharma. These are commentaries and extrapolations on things the Buddha said and things the Buddha did. Okay, But the Vinaya is on the monastic code, and it is huge. It is huge. It is much more information than the sutras, much more than the Abhidharma. And um, when a Westerner comes to Buddhism or to a practice like Budo, for example, <clears throat> that is what hits them the most and the hardest because uh, the Vinaya is so important for one's practice. To have a philosophy without an actual practice is nothing. You don't have anything, okay? And when someone from the West goes into their Zen temple or their Zen retreat, for example, or a dojo such as ours, they have an idea um, which is more based in sutras and in Abhidharma. So, for example, they might have read the sayings of O-sensei, and, oh, these are so wonderful, all this peace and harmony, um, nonviolence. I totally agree with that. Um, that would be like O-sensei's sutras. Okay? They read that, and they come into the dojo like that. Or, you know, they have... Uh, read about um, from people writing commentaries. So maybe they read, you know, the Dynamic Sphere book, which is very popular, or some John Stevens books and on the f their, their philosophical uh, extrapolations of O-sensei's teachings. So they'll learn about non-contestation, and uh, they'll learn about spirals and circles and things like that. And so they come into the dojo that way. And when they come into a dojo like this, just as if someone was to enter into a real Zen temple, not a kind of mindfulness retreat, which is a corruption of the teaching. Do you see? It's a corruption. It's made by sick people for sick people, so the patients have control of the hospital, as I always say. But they go to a real Zen monastery, or they come to a real dojo like this. They're hit with the Vinaya. There's like, no, not like that, like this. Not then, but now. That's too late. That's not right, do you see? You're hit with a Vinaya because the Vinaya is what actually takes the sayings of the founder and takes the philosophy of the founder and puts them in actual practice, do you see? Or better said, it makes it impossible to leave your actions, which is who you are, outside of the training. That's the main point of Vinaya. Every aspect of who you are is filtered through the words of the founder or through the philosophy or the psychology of the practice, okay? That's a Vinaya. And I'm sure we're going to come back to this uh, with your question on performance. So the the philosophy or the psychology that we're looking at now, a kind of Abhidharma, um, is going to say that um, 
you have this ego or this ego tripartite as we define it. But as small com in comparison to the Vinaya, as small as the Abhidhamma is, it's still quite a huge lot. It's quite a huge amount of information. And what we have done with the concept of the ego tripartite is shrink that all down for moderns to understand. Okay, So we don't mean just the ego. Um, we, we mean it's, it's uh, the possibility of its manifestation and the functioning or the operation of its uh, homeostasis, do you see? It goes much deeper than just um, a psycho, an analytical understanding of ego, okay? So the need is there, and that need is grounded in our concept of ego tripartite, but so too is the concept of the ego or the identity. All of these things go together. So when you have this need, uh, you are in this kind of uh, cycle of, or a behavioral pattern, as we say, a behavioral pattern of attraction and repulsion. Do you see? The ego is, can only experience the world that way, and it does so so that it repeats its existence, so it continues to go on and forward in time and space. And so you have this need to perform, to seek social validation because that's probably the wrong word but codependently you have that need codependently with an identity that manifests the possibility for that need okay and so the way out of this right is you have to develop skill in deconstructing the ego tripartite until you can develop that skill you will constantly, sooner or later, feel this need uh, to be validated from outside of yourself, and that means through other people. Okay? If you can bring a cessation to the ego tripartite and do away with that need and get yourself off of that behavioral pattern of attraction and repulsion, your validation is... It, it's not even accurate to say your validation comes from inside you. There's just no more need for the validation. You, you don't have that sense. You don't have that want. You don't have that desire in the same way that you don't have the dreading or the repulsion of being socially invalidated. Okay? If you could develop the skill of bringing a cessation to the ego tripartite and thereby have no need, no sense of gaining or not gaining social validation, you, you are in essence, that, that is the very skill of awakening, do you see? And so you can use the need or the drive toward social validation as a marker for where you are in your spiritual journey, okay? If you find yourself still, still in need of social validation, through however that may be. It could even be with the teacher. Do you see? You want, you want the teacher to validate you. Um, you're still quite socially um, immature, okay? or spiritually immature. Um, this is why, for example, we don't, we don't give a lot of 
merit or importance or significance here to many of the social and thereby superficial markers of validation. So for example, we don't award Dawn rankings. And um, while there is a Confucian hierarchy of senpai and kohai, um, you basically move up and down that list as your practice um, is mature or immature, do you see? And you probably have no idea what a Dawn ranking is because you've only known this, this practice here. Um, so people will have Q grades and they start in Aikido and they're awarded, some start at different numbers, so some start at like 6Q or 7th Q. It, it's different, okay? And they're basically ranks of white belts. Some Aikido Dojo now use colored belts, which I'm sure you know about, right? But some start with just white belts, but they have Q ranks. Um, and as you test, you count downward. So maybe at 6Q, you start, everyone starts at 6Q, then you go to 5th Q, 4th Q, 3rd Q. Eventually, 1st Q, and after 1st Q, you would now test for your first Don. Don means level, okay? Um, and that's your black belt. So you would have, in English, it's often translated as a first degree black belt, then a second degree black belt, you see, third degree. And you go on like that. Um, the, the assumption here is that these are markers of skill, do you see? But what turns out, the unsaid reality of it, is these are social constructs, okay? And you can, for example, create social problems, and these social problems reveal that these are social constructs. And in that sense, they're, they lend themselves very easily to that ego tripartite need for social validation. So let me explain to you how you can reveal that these are social constructs because you can screw with them. Uh, one way of screwing with them is that you don't ever promote and you just get better and better and better uh, until people that are sixth on look farcical when they're placed by your side and you might have a first cue. Do you see that? Um, this was something I did in, in my Kempo art uh, where I just kept my, um, then it was like a third degree brown belt, I think it was. They had, they had degrees um, in Parker Kempo. And I was like, this whole ranking thing is just not spiritually mature. And because it wasn't skill-based, it was social-based. And I wouldn't promote, wouldn't promote. And finally, they had to have a, uh, um, the kind of board of supervisors uh, made an official protest and made me have to put on the, the rank that... Um, they felt would not make a farce of their rank. So I didn't even get like um, 
first degree black belt. They had to promote me higher than that so that it stopped being farcical. Um, another way you can screw with it is um, it, it can create problems for a teacher who is like a, uh, a fifth don and he's or she's got a lot of fourth dons uh, under them and they kind of get pushed up from the bottom because you can't outrank your teacher. Uh, so it's kind of like a pyramid scheme in that sense. And that's telling you for sure this is a social construct. And it's, it's meeting that need of our ego tripartite for social validation, you see. Uh, you, don't, you don't know anything about that. So one thing that, that happens is you never go down. And you never trade places uh, with, with people, do you see? So um, they would never go... Oh, uh, yeah, you're a fifth Don, but you're fourth Don. You have one fourth Don that is way better than you, so we're going to make them the, the sensei and the dojo. They don't do that, you see. But here we have a senpai kohai because there's a Confucian undertone to Budo, so we use the senpai kohai dynamic as a cultivation tool. So there is some sort of hierarchy, do you see? Um, but it's performance-based, so if you start slacking in your practice, uh, you're going to become kohai to other people, like at a drop of a dime, right? And you, you can always see that even though people have known that from the beginning when they come here as you, that's all you've ever known, you always see shock on people's faces when uh, they haven't been coming for a while or, you know, they can't stop pushing back uh, on uke, but their once senpai have learned how not to push back on uke, and so they're now technically, skillfully senpai to them, and so the ranking on the membership board changes, and they're always shocked. Do you know what I mean? They're always shocked. Or like, for example, we have the, the hakama responsibility, and there's a requirement for that, and it's a simple one. It's all we do have a minimum training requirement of two classes per week. Uh, one of them has to be with me. Um, that is allowed. It is permissible, but there's n you're never told that that'll get you where you need to go. You're 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 told that will not get you there. You'll you're there's something so. Um, virtuously inferior to the body-mind that trains at bare minimum. Do you see that? There's so much of that ego tripartite in that possibility within them, in that immaturity, in that sense of entitlement, that anyone that trains at two, two classes a week is going to learn that you're doing it wrong. There's nobody says you're doing it right at that level here, do you see, culturally, do you see? But when you have a hakama, you're supposed to be aiming towards daily training. Everyone is supposed to be aiming towards daily training. You're told that from day one, that it has to be daily training. You're told from day one, you can't have an inside the dojo life and an outside the dojo life. You can't train out of convenience. You can't train when everything's perfect outside. You see, this is an asceticism, and so you have to integrate this way uh, into your life. Otherwise, it is not a way, you see. And so 
what happens though eventually people with hakama they de they decide they're not going to do it that way right they're going to they're going to go get this job or they're going to go to that school or you know they got this deadline or or what have you any number of ways where they they opt not to integrate life and training and eventually they can only train on a convenience basis uh, and so they start missing classes and eventually they break the Hakama protocol. So you have not made your intended training schedule for four weeks in a row. Okay, now what happens to you? You're actually not really a member anymore. Um, we take your, your membership tablet. It gets put in a third row that is normally left empty. It gets placed upside down. You have to remove your Hakama. You can only train two days a week now. You can't train more and you can't train less. Okay. Um, and that can happen anytime anyone breaks those training expectations, do you see? Which is you're not training correctly, which is you're training out of convenience, not out of commitment, which is you're not integrating the mat and the non-mat. You have two different things. You're doing it wrong. And we mark that. And we don't care how long you've been training here. We don't care how powerful your ED Minagi is. We don't care about any of that, do you see? So unlike a social construct, we, we undo it all the time as it is undone by the member, okay? And in that sense, that's kind of that Vinaya. You, you run into the Vinaya, do you see? So, yes, from an Abhidharma point of view, you have this ego tripartite, you're trying to get rid of it. But ultimately, you're going to run into the Vinaya sooner or later. In a real dojo, you will, okay? Um, because what is being measured, or what is the metric for your practice, is this skill in deconstructing or bringing a stopping to the functioning of the ego tripartite, okay? And so in that sense, then, if the ego tripartite is functioning as I seek and feel the need to seek social validation, I can use my need or my need to seek social validation as a marker for where I am spiritually in terms of maturity, in terms of sophistication of my practice, okay? And that's where I was going with this. There's something spiritually immature to our practice when it is um, functioning through these social apparatus, apparatuses. What's the word? Apparati. Um, such as rank. You see, but same too with like uh, clothing, like, you know, you, do, you can't have a white hakama, right? Again, my thing is like, you know, there's people get very emotional. It's, it cracks me up because uh, modern Aikido claims to be so non-religious, but they have the religious mind, you see. Uh, the religious mind that they call the religious mind, it's not what I would call the religious mind. The religious mind is the ability to tap into the second mind or the ability to bring cessation to the ego tripartite. But what they call the religious mind is this kind of dogmatic, 
pit bull jaws trapped closed do you see not letting go but they they are totally in that sense dogmatic this color is only for this person that color is not for that person right and again if you go past that you go past the surface there's no depth to it there's no depth you know for me before I would ever say wearing a white hakama is disrespectful to O Sensei, I would say uh, being a stiff, out of shape, unmartial, secular materialist is the most disrespectful thing you can do to the founder of this art. You should stop calling what you do what he did. But they don't. Why? Because socially, they're being val validated. See, a person has this rank, right? I got, a, I got my sixth on. And it works for them in that way. And this is why you can have people who would watch a video. You watch a video of mine, and I, I can tell they, they have... Um, there's this mixture of they're not sure what they're seeing. So they must be seeing this. Like, um, for example, the adhesion. You'll get people who will go, bullshit, because they've never seen it. You're asking brand new people to try to pull their arms back, and they can't pull, and they're like, bullshit, I could pull my arm back, do you see? Or they'll go, oh, I, I do do that. Oh, my teacher did that. And then, Show me a video. No, there's no video. They don't do that. They don't do that. My teachers did not do that. Or you have the Kokyu projections. And there's people again go, bullshit, they're jumping, they're throwing. Again, you have to, you, you demonstrate that you don't know what bodies move like through space. That you, can't, you can't tell the difference between someone who's being projected through space out of surprise to their body-mind and someone who's purposefully throwing themselves. Like, again, that to me is how unskilled the Aikido community has become. They don't know what bodies do and don't do. They can't recognize it. Or again, you'll have people, oh, I, I do that. Oh, my teacher does. Again, show me the video because they don't. They don't. There's a handful of people that can do it. And they're dying off. But you'll still have someone that has a fourth degree. Do you see he's got, he's got or she's got her social validation. They were with this teacher. That teacher validates them because uh, they were a deshi of that teacher. And they have this rank because they were in that federation, do you see? And it, it works for them to say something that either ignores what they're seeing or believes what they're seeing is wrong or allows them to believe they're already doing it. Do you see? And that's why it just feeds the ego, where a person that didn't have that would at least be able to go, that doesn't look what, like what I do. At least that, to see purely, do you see? Or to just ignore it. I don't do that. I do something else. But it's very difficult for the social validators to ignore it. Because why? Because the ego tripartite is functioning. Okay? 
So our interest is, and you, you shout, you, you'll hear me shout it all the time, stop performing, stop performing. If you go, if you, if you look at this at a microcosmic level, I was, we were doing um, elbow knee yesterday, do you remember? So elbow knee from the, elbow knee escape from the mount in, into a shoulder lock, kind of scissor sweep. And um, remember I pointed out that the deshi I was working with, I could already feel the sense that they were too weak. Before they even did the technique, you, you could feel in their body-mind the sense that they're too weak. Well, that is the functioning of the ego tripartite in, in one of its markers, dichotomous thinking. So if you feel you're too weak, before the technique even started, about, as you're about to do the technique, do you see, you're going to not want to feel weak. You're going to want to feel strong. And when you feel strong, to you, to that person, it's going to be what is desired, and the weakness is going to be repelling. You don't want to feel that. And so you go into your um, cultural fictions of what being strong is. And so your will to power is triggered, and the way not to feel weak is to overpower the other person. And so long before, like, of course, yes, it's, it's fractions of a second, but many, many fractions of a second before you even start. You're already overflexing, already getting ready to grunt and heave to move this person, do you see? So you're already fighting this person before you even started the technique. And in many ways, as I said, that is the functioning of the ego tripartite. So in many ways, this is, again, seeking some sort of validation because the validation is the preferential, the attractive side of the repulsion, attraction, behavioral pattern. You want to not feel the opposite of what you think is bad, is weak, is not good for you, do you see? And, and you get into that dichotomous pattern, that dichotomous way of thinking, and so the ego is manifested. There is an ego simultaneously arising with all of that, one that feels weak, one that wants to feel strong, and then one that reifies itself by attempting not to feel weak and to feel strong. And now you're trapped. You're trapped. You are now in a quagmire of suffering, of fear, of pain, of anxiety, of depression. And the delusion is that if you could get some validation, that you'll stop feeling that way. So if you could, if you could get your sixth on, you would, you would feel good right? But as we say here in our own Abhidhamma, no, that, that's actually part of the disease. That's part of the disease. So, there's a, 
you know, my favorite Zen figure is EQ. And I've told this story many times. But you, you should keep it in mind. Okay. So EQ is a person who has no difference between in the temple or out of the temple. His Zen practice is just who he is. He doesn't require the temple, nor does he require the social markings of monasticism. Um, he doesn't even require the strict Vinaya. He's moved past that. He doesn't require the monastic code anymore. And the, uh, ultimately, at the end, he moves out of the temple and gets a place in a whorehouse. Because from a non-dichotomous mind, the temple and the whorehouse are not antithetical to each other. And more than that, he falls in love with a woman for the exact same reasons. A Zen that can only exist outside of love cannot be a Zen. The Zen that can only exist in some sort of Gene Roddenberry's Spockian mind is just not Zen. Likewise, the Aikido that can only exist inside the dojo is not an it's not Aikido. It's some bastardization. It's some corruption. It's at best it's something very immature. Some seed has not sprouted. But it is definitely not a tree. It's no tree of life. So, at one point, EQ gets invited to a fancy dinner, do you see? Because the government was very much in a political relationship with Buddhism at the time of EQ. Buddhism had mass lands, armies, amassed great wealth, education, truth, were all produced in these temples. And that went on for centuries, up to, for example, O Sensei was raised. He went to Buddhist school. You wanted to get educated. You had to go to the temples. It was up to O Sensei's day. You wanted to get educated. You went to Buddhist schools. But definitely at the time of VQ, this is, this is a big political player, Buddhism. Okay? And Ikkyu was the abbot of one of the temples. And he gets invited to a government dinner. And um, he's walking to the castle where the dinner is, and he doesn't go in the front door. He goes in the back door. In the front door is where they were, had all their social constructs, uh, constructs for their 
pomp and circumstances. There were people there to, to greet you, and they were all positioned in hierarchical order, and you had to go past. And, and they had to be able, as you went through their procession, they could capitalize upon your own social capital because you had the title of abbot, and you were coming to their dinner, do you see? And he wanted no part of that. So he's going to walk in the back door because there's no difference to him front door, back door. And he doesn't wear his purple robes, which were a sign of his title. He just shows up. And the kitchen staff and probably security in the back go, hey, who the hell are you? And he's all like, I was invited here. And they're like, no. Why do they say no? Because... They don't see purple robes. They see shorts and a polo and mat shoes. Do you see? He's not dressed like their social constructs say you're supposed to be dressed. Is he any less a Zen man? No, but to them, yes. Because they're stuck on the surface. It's all social performance to them. It's all social validation. And there's rules in social validation. And there's symbols in social validation. So they kick him out. So he leaves. He goes back to his temple. He puts on his abbot purple robes. It was a big deal to get the purple robes. But not to a man like Ikyu. So he, he comes... Now in his purple robes, he goes through the front gate, right? And he gets up to this procession where they begin the, the exchange of social capital. Who do you bow to? Who shakes? The abbot from the great temple is here, you see. But he starts to strip off his clothes. He takes off his clothes and he becomes naked. And they're like, what are you, what are you doing? Because there's so much symbolism in the clothes, in these social validators, do you see, in these spiritually immature people. They can't see past the surface of things. It makes sense that a true Zen man would take them off and become naked, go back to how he was born in the original mind. And he gives them his, the purple robes. And they're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're naked. Oh, my God. And he says, clearly, you invited the robes and not me. And he walks away. This is no need for social validation. This is a cessation of the ego tripartite. This is an escape a liberation from dichotomous thinking and the behavioral patterns of attraction and repulsion. This is a, a, a stopping of our will to power. This is freedom. This is awakening. When you feel that need, towards the superficial, towards the visual, towards the social. You have to come back to your practice. 
you have to stop. You have to face those fears. You have to release. So you can free yourself. So you can stop being a slave. And also so you can stop enslaving others. You have to become a sage, a Zen man. You have to stop. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com. S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. Or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.